Let's give it up for the band leading us in worship today. I do like that new song. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. Uh, we have been covering a new series called Something is about to happen, and it has been a good time in the house of God, a lot of life change. I know that you're going to hear about some of that life change at the end of today's service, but let's just say more people are going to heaven as a result of the ministries that happened this week, so we can celebrate lost souls being saved. There is no greater thing that we can ever do than to see someone accept Christ and be saved from their sins. And so I encourage you as we go through today's message, uh, we're going to be talking about the favor of God. And we've called this series, Something is About to Happen. And, and we've called it also the year of favor. We believe that God is doing things as we move into this new season, this new era of Genesis Metro. We knew that God was going to bring the people um, that we need to even go further, to save more, to change more lives. And we are excited about what he is already doing. And we trust that that you are experiencing that on a week-by-week -week basis. And so today we're going to be talking about how favor leads us. And so whenever we think about favor, um, that's a little abstract. It's just the grace of God, which means that God does not love us because he has to. He loves us because he chooses to. That's what grace is, is, is that we didn't earn it. We weren't so good that we, that we purchased it by our goodness. And if we are bad, he doesn't have less grace for us. His grace is who he is. He sits on a throne of grace, the Bible says. And so he wants to give us mercy. He wants to give us grace. He wants to lead us by grace. And Whenever favor leads you, it can keep you from a lot of terrible things. And we're going to be looking at three stories where God's favor was trying to lead people. And, and you might say to yourself, and I realize this, um, when I preach on letting favor lead you, you might say, well, Tim, I'd like to do that, but how? How do I do that? Well, you can think about your sensitivity uh, to God. You can think about it like almost like a, a spectrum, Okay. And what are the things that make you more sensitive? Um, you know, going to church, okay, that's obviously being in a Christian community, having Christians around you that are celebrating what you celebrate or for what you're for, reading God's word, praying, worshiping. And then you have to think about how much of the world are you letting into your life? So what do you allow into your eyes, your ears? What are the places that you put yourself in? And so whenever we begin to turn up the things of God and we turn down the things of the world, it makes us more sensitive to what God has for us, and then we can follow where he's leading us. And so it's not, God knows that we are not, you know, geniuses, okay? He's not ever trying to make it so hard that you can't figure it out. It's not hard to say, like, what does God's word say? Do it, okay? It's that simple. But on the other hand, like, we need enforcement. We need encouragement because we tend to stray. And so um, as we look at some stories today, we're going to look at three, and we're going to try to draw one big principle out of three stories of God's favor leading people. So we're going to get into it today. It's going to be a familiar story of Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot and his wife. Um, spoiler alert, there's a pillar of salt at the end. Um, there might be a stubborn woman um, in this uh, story. 
And, you know, the Bible's archaic, so we really don't have stubborn women um, today. And so, you know, this is just more like a historical sermon for you. Um, apply it as you will. Um, but God has appointed a time for all of us to be judged, and Sodom and Gomorrah's sin was so great that it was time uh, for their judgment. And the Bible makes it clear, like, you know, we're all going to stand before God, and there's always going to be an judgment accounting of our sin. And um, God sent two angels to tell Lot and his wife how to escape. And we're going to discuss how favor was trying to keep them out of destruction. Um, an interesting part that I'd never seen, the two daughters of Lot um, were engaged. And so when the angel said, do you have anybody that you want to help escape? They were like, oh, we got these brother-in-laws. And so they went and talked to the brother-in-laws and the brother-in-laws thought that Lot was joking. All right. And I'd never seen that before. And I thought, you know, next day they weren't laughing anyway. So um, if you don't know how the story ends, fire comes down, consumes the city. Um, maybe I'm the only one who thinks that's funny. Um, but it says at daybreak, the angels urged Lot, and they said, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. You see how God knows what's coming, and he's trying to warn you about what is to come. It says, but he hesitated. Ooh, we're going to, you know, you couldn't be a good preacher if you can't preach that. But he hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion for him, see the contrast? The men, the angels, grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. And then they brought him out and left him outside the city. It says, but Lot's wife looked back longingly and was turned into a pillar of salt. Wow. I want to talk about first favor that draws us away from destruction. Favor that draws us away from destruction. Um, have you ever, I like asking these types of questions. Have you ever known it was time to go? Has anybody ever like, has anybody ever looked at your spouse like, it's time to go. Has anybody ever, you ever, you ever been out somewhere and like, you know, you just kind of, the vibe starts changing, you know? I, I've been at some places, you know, where it's like, you know, uh, it looks like it's about time to go, right? Is anybody? Like there's usually one spouse that wants to stay and one spouse that wants to go. If you're in a friend group, there's always a friend that wants to stay. And then there's like some, they're like, you know, I think it, I, I think it's, I think we've had enough tonight. You know, I think it's, I think it's time to go. And have you ever stayed when you should have gone? Has anybody ever stayed? And like the next morning you confirm to yourself, yep, I should have, I should have left. I should have left. Every time, right? You never wake up the next day like, yeah, I, yeah, I was good. I'm glad I stayed. You know, no, you should have left. All right. And so think about that for a moment. And I think, I think we're all tracking here. Um, so there are a lot of times in life where God is trying to say, hey, hey, you know, this might have been good for a season, but it wasn't meant to be forever. And so sometimes there's relationships that we stay when we should have gone. Sometimes it's a, a workplace. We stay when we should have gone. Sometimes it's a party. 
Now we stay when we should have gone. So we just have to start thinking about in our lives, what is God trying to lead us to? And obviously with Lot and his wife, he was saying, it's time to go. How could he be more obvious than he sent two angels? Like these are spiritual beings, sent them to earth and they look like people, okay? So he made them look like people, and they came from God, and they smote these Sodom and uh, Gomorrah people with blindness, and they were trying to get in the house, and that's a whole other story that will distract you if I told you all of it, but it was crazy. And so, like, it was obvious that these people were from God, and he's telling them it's time to go. And yet, and yet, what is it about us that wants to stay where we are? What, what, is that, what is that pull that is in our lives that constantly wants to stay where we're at, that doesn't want to progress when the Word of God is sent to us? Like it couldn't be, like you walked in here today, and you, this might be your first time, and you're going to say to yourself, well, like he's not talking to me. Yes, I'm, I am literally talking to you. And so, so you, you kind of make excuses for why you're going to stay where you stay. It says that he hesitated. You notice that? He hesitated. And I wonder how many lives today can, can sit in here, and if you were thoughtful for just a moment, introspective for a moment, can you think of times in your life where God was trying to get you to move, but you hesitated? And can, can someone in here even say that, man, how much pain have you experienced as a result of not following God's word when it was overt? I mean, you knew, I need to get out. I need to, I need to, I need to run right now. And yet you hesitated, man. I can't tell you that... God says today is the day of salvation. There's, there's an immediacy when Jesus is calling the disciples. There's an immediacy that he desires in our lives. It's not about tomorrow. It's not about next week. It's about now. And I hope today that you would realize that, that if God starts giving you a word that it's time to move, he starts impacting, you know, like how you're looking at things and you start to see there's the vision begins to expand and, and like he's trying to warn you, hey, there's something coming down the pipe. And if you don't turn, then something terrible is going to happen. And so don't hesitate when he gives you a definite word. Look at um, Lot's wife, and this is where it gets interesting. Now, I said a stubborn woman. This can be a stubborn man. We could say a stubborn person to be politically correct. I just thought, you know, it says she was a woman. Anyway, um, and have you all ever known a stubborn Is anybody in here say amen if you've ever known a stubborn woman, though? Amen. Say amen if you're married to... No, I'm just kidding. Don't... Just, let's calm down, okay? Um, by the way, I, I am... Uh, I make jokes, so if you didn't know that, like from time to time, I'm joking, okay? All the new people that are new to our church, like I am, I'm joking, okay? Just so, just so I make it really clear in this cancel culture, I will make jokes. And if you can't handle a preacher making jokes, this probably is not the church for you, okay? Um, and so anyway, moving on. Uh, so here is Lot's wife and... It says that they took them outside the city, and then she looked back, right? She looked back longingly. I don't know if you caught that word. So everything is melting down around her, literally, not figuratively, yet she refuses to change her focus. 
And I just wondered if I could preach to anyone in here that when you, have you ever been in a season where it feels like everything is on fire? <laughs> when, when it feels like there's destruction, there's maybe even the feeling of imminent doom. And God has a way when we are wayward of trying to get us to come back to him, to turn back, to get out of the wrong place and move towards the right place. And sometimes he's consuming the things that are around us to offer pressure to move us toward our purpose. And so I hope today that you would begin thinking about that, that he was trying to get Lot and his wife and his two daughters out of the path of destruction, yet she refuses to change her focus. I want, I want you to think about that. Like she, was, she cared more about her past than she did about her purpose. And there's nothing in our past that is worth our purpose. And the church said, amen. Like, right? Like, don't you want to live on purpose? Don't you want God's purpose for your life? Don't you want God's purpose for your marriage? Don't you want God's purpose for your children? Don't you want God's purpose for your profession? I mean, God... God's purpose is greater than anything. It's, it's bigger than anything. And there's part of us. There's something desperate inside of man. God says he's put eternity in our hearts. There's a, there's a DNA component of us that only resonates at the tone, at the pitch of God's voice. And until we are right with God's voice, there's a dissonance in our lives. And I hope today that you might understand that God wants you to focus. Like, quit looking at the past. There's nothing back, there's nothing in Egypt that is worth the promised land. Wouldn't it be terrible if God had a whole promised land picked out for you, but you're so focused on the past that you can't live in the presence, that you can't focus on God's purpose for your life. Lot's wife looked back and it says that she was turned into a pillar of salt. She loved her past so much that she couldn't let go of it. Is there anything you're holding on to this morning? Is there anything that you're not willing to let go of? Man, what if God said this morning, destruction is on its way? Fire, is, it's imminent. It will happen if you stay. Would you be willing to finally let go of some of the things that are in your past? I hope today that someone might wake up before it's too late. Another thing that I thought was fascinating, and I wanted to talk about the difference between location and transformation. That location is not a substitute for transformation. So he moved them outside the city, okay? So now they are physically removed from Sodom and Gomorrah. They are physically removed from evil. Physically removed from the temptation. The Bible says in the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament, Lot had vexed his righteousness. Like you hang around bad long enough, it rubs off on you, right? Everybody understand that? Does anybody disagree with that? Do you think that you can just like be righteous amongst like a hundred negative people and that you could just stay that way? Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But think about it for a moment, like location versus transformation. See, some of you are in here this morning and that's location, but your heart is still in the past. Your love is still in the past. Your purpose 
is still in your past. And so even though you've changed your location, you're around God's people this morning, you're in God's house. It doesn't matter if you're in the right location, if you have an experienced heart transformation, mind transformation. And so even though God had removed her from the city that was being destroyed, her heart was still there. And as a result, she looked back, and as a result of that, she turned into a pillar of salt. So, man, what destruction occurs in our lives as a result of us continually looking and living in the past? Here we have the opportunity this morning when we receive God's word that it transforms us. So it's not enough just to move yourself to a different location. God wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants your focus. He wants your worship. And so this morning we have to start thinking, are we letting favor lead us away from destruction? Notice that it says whenever he hesitated, what was it, what was it, what the angels do? It says because of the Lord's compassion. Can we put that verse back up? It says that he hesitated, right? And then the angel grabbed him by the hand. <laughs> I just want to ask you this morning, do you not realize that God's compassion is constantly trying to save you from you? Did you know that? Say amen if God has ever snatched you up out of a bad situation. Has God ever, has God ever like, hey, right here. Like we had a family that was driving by Friday night, driving by. And they saw something was happening and they had a sixth grader and they literally pulled in the parking lot, threw him in there and drove off. All right. They didn't know us. They've never been to our church. If that family's in here, good job on you. But they saw something was happening, and I'm just surmising that their kid needed church because you're not just usually driving by and like anything. Throw them in there, something, anything. You take him. Anyway, so like think about that for a moment, that God's compassion is constantly trying to work to save you. God is trying to get his word to you. And even though he hesitated, God's like, no, I refuse to let you stay when it's time to go. You need to thank God when he snatches you by his grace out of the destruction that you prefer. Man, God's compassion is incredible and he is worthy of our praise. And the church said, amen. Yes, yes. That's round one. Round one, this is a three round fight. Okay. Jonah, we're going to talk about a different type of favor, favor that leads us, that pushes us to love the unlovable. Mm -hmm. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So in other words, there appears to be a time and a space that you're allowed to move and then that time ends. And when that time ends, that's when judgment comes. So we see a very similar arc to Sodom and Gomorrah is coming for Nineveh. He says, go and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord, okay? Now, this is not in the sermon, but I'm just going to make, you know, an aside. 
He was paying to run from God. You could say that he was paying because he ran from God. Whenever he goes into the bottom of the fish to the bottom of the ocean, he was paying for running from God. I wonder how much money you're spending. <laughs> okay, that's not even in the sermon, but I just just curious if you realize that when you're running from God, you're and he was going I don't, if I had my, I almost went Bible map on you because I love to go. I love a good map. But he was going twice as far away from God. He was working twice as hard to run from God. Oh, don't think I'm not going to preach to you this morning. Favor that pushes us to love the unlovable. See, some of you have a list inside your mind. Um, it's like the, the people that you don't like. And if God was going to call you to have compassion, you could have compassion on everyone else, but God, anyone but them, anyone, oh God, anyone but them, anywhere but there, anyone but them, anywhere but there. Like there are some people like, you know, we naturally all hate some people, right? And you know what I'm talking about. Like as an OU fan, I naturally hate UT fans. Okay. That's just, that's just, that's just, that's just the way that it is, okay? It's the way it is. Yes, I see the devil's horns. See, he has them up right there. And I appreciate, I appreciate in the back we had one going like that. See, devil down. We naturally have these predispositions toward not liking some people, and, and I'm going to share with you some of mine, okay? Um, have you noticed that there is a fair amount of people, and it seems like disproportionate to the past, that are driving around without their headlights on. Has, it, has anybody else noticed this? Now, this is what's confusing to me, okay? For the last 15 years, I think, there's a switch, and it's called auto, okay? It's auto. Now, it doesn't say auto. There's an A, though, okay? And I think some of you don't know that it stands for auto, okay? And when you turn that little switch just right over there at auto, you never, you never have to worry about it. It just does it. It just does it. It's like a magic trick. Your car's like, it's nighttime. Bloop. And the lights, come on, all right? So I see these people that are driving around in darkness, and I'm thinking, do you not see? There's not a little halo around your car. And there is. There's a little bit of hate that just comes up inside of me, and I say to myself, if I knew that person, I would not want to be friends with them. I mean, if they don't even care about their life enough to have their headlights on, they don't care about my life. So I just don't need to be around those people. So all I'm saying is that we all have some people that just get on our nerves and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but there might be some people in your life, maybe in your past, maybe you worked with, maybe you were married to, I don't know what, but if something happened, to, and I'm not saying you want them to die, but it, a little bit of pain happened. You wouldn't be upset about that. This is the way Jonah felt about the Ninevites. Now, in truth, it appears that they were wicked. It appears that they were evil. So you can even justify and say, well, he's righteous. And what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? And you can make an argument there, I guess. 
I guess. But favor was driving him to love the unlovable. And I just want to ask you, hmm, now we're going to take it down here. See, I'm funny, so I can get serious. So I can make you laugh, I can make you cry, okay? Can you imagine if God felt towards Jonah the way that Jonah felt towards the Ninevites? Can you imagine that for a moment? What if God said, you know what, Jonah, your sin, your rebellion, your wickedness, I'd just rather you die and perish. But somehow God's compassion saved Jonah. And now Jonah has been saved from his sins, and yet he hates this group of people. Do you think that's possible to sometimes save people, forget they're saved? Did you know that? Did you, did you forget that? How can you have hate for someone that you would rather them die and go to hell, separated from God forever? You would rather that. Because if God has saved you from your sins, shouldn't you naturally reciprocate compassion to people? No matter what, no matter what, no matter who they are. If you want to reflect the love of God, you have to love like God loved. Look at what disobedience does. Disobedience drives us to create distance between us and the Lord. He said, I'm getting on a ship and I'm going to run. It says that he literally ran from God. Now, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you think that if you run far enough that he can't see you? Do you think that? I like, uh, have you ever played hide and go seek with a two-year-old? Has anybody ever done this? Like, they don't have object permanence yet. And so they will, like, hide their eyes, and they're like, I'm hiding from you. And, like, you ever, you ever seen this? And, like, uh, I can see you. Like, no, you can't. You can't see me. Like, they think if they can't see you that you can't. Do you think God can't see you? Do you, do you think because no one else knows that God doesn't know? Do you think you've ran so far, you've hardened your heart so hard that God can't find you? He found you today. He got you here today, whether it was your wife that drug you, whatever it was. He got you here today. He found you. Man, I would say to you, quit running from the word of God. That it would be so much better to surrender to what God wants for your life. Never mind the fact that other people are hanging on whether or not you obey. Let that be on your conscience. That there are some people that you are meant to save that if you hesitate, and if you say no, if you run in the opposite direction, then there's a distance that you're creating. Disobedience always creates distance. This morning as you walk in here and the songs are being sung and yet you don't feel anything, is it possible that you've ran so far that there's a distance between you and God? There's not intimacy in the relationship because of your disobedience, because you're running. I would encourage you, stop running. Then I want us to see that people make want to the issue. And I'm going to preach this thing, all right? Just get ready, all right? I don't know, I don't know if y'all are ready. I, I sense that some of you aren't used to this level of intensity in the sermons, because like some of you are like, 
You know, it's like, it's a new church. Like, like, hey, pay attention. All right. Get ready. I'm going to preach to you. Okay. You ready? Do you, do you want this? All right. I don't think you do. Um, people make want to the issue. You ever had your kid, like all kids go through this phase, and some of you aren't parent enough to handle this. We're like, you're like, you need to get up, you need to go clean. I don't want to. Like, you ever heard that? Boy, boy, <laughs> in the born household. Boy, you would not say that more than once. You would not. I don't want to. Jonah didn't want to. And so he thought, if I don't want to, then I don't. Oh. Man, do we live in a society today that thinks it's about want to? I think we do. I think we do. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to take a test. I don't want to be married anymore. I don't, you know, they, I didn't know that want to was a part of the equation. Do you know there's a difference between want to and need to? I thought it was about what God wants and not about what we want. You know what God wanted? He wanted him to preach to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah mistook and he thought I could say I don't want to to God. And I'm going to tell you right now, your want to needs to get fixed. Because if you thought want to was an issue that you could raise to God and say, well, I don't want to. 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 Can you imagine being God up there that he's given you a word and you're just looking at him like, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. And like, he's like, I don't think want to is an issue. I don't, I don't, I don't think you get to do that. It's like husbands... If you're going to be the leader of your household, you can't say, I don't want to. You know, I mean, going to church, like your kids wake up and like, I don't want to. Like, it's not about want to. It's not about want It's never been about want to. You work because you're supposed to go to work. You do your best because you're supposed to do. It doesn't matter if you don't want to. You got to discipline your desire and your laziness. And you got to allow that discipline to rise up. And what you'll find is that as you go along, it's not about your want to being the issue. That your want to will get motivated as you submit to God, as you say, God, I want what you want. And then all of a sudden your want to changes as a result of your submission to God. Want to has never been the issue. It doesn't matter what you want. It matters what God wants. If you've been living in the world of what you want, I promise you, ooh, God, that is, you are a selfish. That's if, if all you do is what you want, that is the definition. I'm here to enlighten you. That is the definition of selfish. In marriage, husbands, you come in second place to everything if you're doing it right. Husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. What did he do? Gave himself up for her. Wives, be in submission to your husband. Don't you talk about submission to him. As he submitted to Christ, you're both submitted to Christ. You're both under submission. That's the picture. That's the plan. You come in second. It's not about your happiness. It's about their happiness. Their happiness makes you happy. And then you want God to be happy. So you're coming in second. Other people, your friendships, you're not in first place. It's not about what you want. It's like, what can I do to be a good friend? You're second place. You should be losing in every relationship. It's not about want to. Nobody wants to do those things. In the movie, The Breakup, nobody wants to do the dishes, right? 
Nobody wants, nobody's ever woke up, you know what I want to do today? I want to do some dishes, man. And I think we've raised a society that is a little bit spoiled. And you thought it was about want to. Man, I just want to preach that thing. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm just saying. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It should be about God. You know what God wants? He wants to save. There's a tension between for and against. What I mean by that is, he said, Jonah, go preach against that city. Okay? Destruction. Go preach. And for you and for people in general, we tend to get a lot more passionate about what we're against. And I think sometimes we're so into what we're against that we forget what we are for. And we allow the tension of against to outweigh what we are for, and then we become negative. We become cynics. And you imagine a preacher that preached with the heart that was against. Can you imagine what that would be like? He'd be up here just telling you how bad you are, how terrible you are. How, it's like the fire and damnation. I think there's a way to preach that God is holy and that he's a judge. There's going to be a judgment day. You're going to stand before God. All those things. But you know what he said? Jonah, go preach to that city. Preach against it. But what did he leave room for? He left room for repentance, reconciliation, and redemption. Don't be so against someone that you don't leave room for repentance, for reconciliation, for redemption. Some of you get so mad and so angry and so hate-filled that you can no longer love the unlovable and you're wanting to see them get it. And yet God is saying, I am holy and I hate sin. But you know what I'm more for? I'm for saving. Look at this verse. It says in John that he did not send in his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you understand? So, so many cynics and atheist agnostics, they'll say, how can a loving God, how can a loving, man, I'll just, how can a loving God, if he's a loving God, how could he do such things? If God is love, how could he rain down fire on Sodom? And they think they're so smug. They think they're like, oh, I got a great argument. Oh, look at me. I've completely unraveled the Bible and the God of all creation. Man, you are so smart. Well, it appears that the God of love sent his only begotten son. Tell me someone that's loved you like that. In that while we were yet sinners, unlovable, Christ died for us. God does not sin. God, the Bible says God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not trying to condemn. He's trying to save. And he proved it. By giving you his absolute best, his only son, Jesus, 
dying on a cross, saying, Father, even in his last breath, as he's struggling to expand his lungs and to draw air out, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had mercy in his mouth while he was being crucified for us. And yet somehow we arrive at a conclusion that the God of the Bible is unloving, that the God of the Bible is just trying to trap us. How about maybe it's you being about what you want and not about what God wants and that you have to try to make God into a monster so that you cannot submit yourself because in your heart you just want to be you. The tension between for and against. I hope today that maybe there's some people in your life. Hmm? Hmm? Maybe some people on that list. What if you released it today? Can you imagine someone who's haunted by someone? Like every day you have thoughts that make you just rage. Maybe a bad parenting relationship growing up, a former relationship, former marriage, whatever, you know. And your hate really for them consumes you. Wouldn't that be incredible? That if, even if nothing ever happens, that you released it. That you never had to think about it, never had to talk about it again because your compassion, you left room in your heart for reconciliation, redemption, repentance. I'm just saying, be careful being so against what you're against. The last one, favor to fight for the high ground. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 14. There's a guy named Jonathan who is Saul, King Saul's son. And they are in a situation where they're surrounded and the Philistines have the high ground. And this is Saul's first real test. And it says that he's quaking in fear. And they are down in the valley and they're waiting and they don't know what to do. It says that Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come let us go to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord, and that's just another way of saying Philistine. Um, you know, it's just funny. Anyway, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And I love that spirit, right? Like God doesn't need an army. He just needs the willing, right? Oh, I mean, that's just good. Uh, do all that you have in your mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Oh, don't we need some people? Anyway, we'll preach that in just a moment. Jonathan said, come on then. He says, we'll cross over there and basically we'll stand at the bottom of the mountain. And if they say that we're going to come down to you, then we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But if they say, come up to us, that'll be our sign that God has given them to us. Now, I don't know if you are a military-minded person, but there's a reason why you always want the high ground. Does everybody understand this? Does everybody understand this? Like, the low ground is, a, like, you could throw a rock and kill somebody from high ground. Does everybody understand? Like, like they're climbing up, and there's a whole army on a cliff. And so the Philistines literally say, come up. And so... Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and is like, 
That's the sign, all right? Something is about to happen. So we're going to climb up here. Now, imagine being the armor bearer. I would, I would, I'm a natural, like, skeptic. I'm a logic person. I would be like, are you sure this is God's plan? Like, is anybody else, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, somebody's all Johnny Jump Up, excited about their passion, and now they're getting ready to put me in harm's way, and this is the plan. We're going to climb up a rock face with the enemy just waiting, and I just imagine the little spears, like, just whack-a-mole, like, got you. Got you. Got you. Right? Like, this is not a great plan. Right? But the armor bearer says, whatever's in your heart, I'm with you, heart and soul. Man, do you know what we need at Genesis Metro? We need some people that are with us, heart and soul. We don't need an army. You know what we need? We need a few people that are willing to say, I'm willing to risk it all because the victory up there is worth the risk. You see, his father was paralyzed by fear because fear will always keep you in the valley saying, wait, wait for a better time. Wait for the right season. Wait till you have the money right. Wait till you get the promotion. Wait till the kids are out of school. Wait till the, wait, wait. It's always, fear says there's a reason to wait. There's a reason to wait. But you know what faith says? Faith says, I want the mountain. Faith says, it's up there. Faith says, I'm willing to climb. Faith says, I'm willing to risk. Faith says, I'm going to go get what God has prepared for me, and I don't care what the odds look like. I trust my God is greater than the odds, and he climbs up the mountain. They take out 20 men. It was two Verses 20, and it says they took out 20 soldiers of the enemy. That caused them to flee and retreat, and they end up wiping out the Philistine army all because two guys, two guys were willing to embrace the climb. I just want you to, let's think about that. When's the last time your favor has put you at risk? That God leading you put you at risk. When's the last time? I think we have a bunch of people that like the valley. It's safe down there. But if you follow God, I promise you that favor, it'll put you at risk. Man, I hope that you would trust God. Because I think that the, the winds that are available, the winds are waiting at the top of the mountain. I hope that we have some people that are joining us as we grow this church. are willing to embrace it we got to pay the price if we want to win the people. You guys ready? Let's pray. Father, we ask, in the name of Jesus, God, we want, to be, oh, we want to get up on that level, God. We want to be on that Jonathan level today. God, I pray for those that the fires are raging around them, that they would take your hand and they would escape today, God. That they would prefer your purpose, God. God, I pray for my Jonas in the room who are refusing to love people the way that God said to love people. God, I pray that you would break their hearts and that, God, they would surrender to the fact that there's room. Even though it doesn't look likely, there is room that if you would just let him, he would lead you. And you've already preconceived how it's going to go. And what if I told you you have no idea? You have no idea that maybe your apology is the match that lights the fire 
in a reconciled relationship. Maybe your surrender on a Sunday is what unlocks the door you've been waiting on on Monday. I'm telling you there's a kinetic chain when it comes to faith and favor. And you're responsible for today. You won't be able to stand tomorrow and say you didn't know, you didn't hear, you weren't warned. So today, as long as it's time, as long as it's time, in the, in the presence of this moment, we're going to sing this song. And in that worship is your chance to surrender, to let go, to give God what belongs to Him. Would you guys stand and worship with us?